presenting music for you to be transported. Music for deep listening and sublime enjoyment. Find us on Facebook. Just head to www.facebook.com forward slash J Air Radio. That's two R's. J Air Radio. Listening to the Israel Connection on JA Community Radio, broadcasting live on 88FM and streaming on the internet at j-air.com.au. My name is David Schulberg, bringing you another episode of this weekly radio program that provides analysis and insight with important interviews and discussion about Israel. Later in today's show, I'm expecting to have Shaya Vitan, an Israeli Moroccan singer songwriter, joining me in the studio for a live interview. Designers Federation of Australia annual plenary took place in Sydney last weekend. The community was given the opportunity to watch a perceptive discussion featuring Rabbi Dr. Danielle Hartman, a distinguished scholar and thought leader, in conversation with Zionist Federation of Australia President Jeremy Liebler. This special edition of What Are ZFA Conversations tackled pressing issues surrounding civil disagreements within Israel, the essence of leadership, the nature of religious Zionism and the indispensable need for constructive and open dialogue. Rabbi Hartman is president of the Shalom Hartman Institute and holds the Kaufman Family Chair in Jewish Philosophy. He is author of the highly regarded 2016 book, Putting God Second, How to Save Religion from Itself, and is the host of For Heaven's Sake, a podcast from the Shalom Hartman Institute's Iron Gaze Project that revives the lost art of Jewish debate for the sake of illuminating a topic, not sowing division. I am playing a part of the conversation that took place between Rabbi Hartman and Jeremy Liebler. We pick up the conversation with Rabbi Hartman talking about attitudes toward Israel today. You're going to have questions, and they're going to be there, but we're frightened. And sometimes, as I was saying beforehand, we mean well in the worst sense of the term, as Mark Twain said. We mean well in the worst sense of the term. Because those who love Israel are very often not creating an environment in which the love of Israel is going to be sustainable. Not for themselves, but for next generations. Because they're assuming or they're allowing their anxiety to overtake them. Is It's a call to add to the menu of Zionism another feature. Not a photo op. Not a nachas machine. Not saying, oh, I went to Israel and I saw. Crap, leave it alone. That doesn't count anymore. That's not it. You have a chance to fight for the Israel you want. Let that be an expression of your Zionism. Instead of letting Israeli leaders assume that you're stupid. Assume that you're naive. Assume that that I, Benjamin Netanyahu, could give one type of interview in English and a separate interview in Hebrew. Now, we already, because there's Jewish organizations who have been collecting and showing what do does the Palestinian Authority say in English and what do they say in Arabic or what are their textbooks. So we already, today, 
there's no such thing as public and private anymore. It's just less. So it's instead of seeing it as an imperative, see what they're saying as a suggestion could be an opportunity, but it's one for you to mediate for your community in the ways that you feel are most appropriate. I take enormous comfort in people like you, like Yossi, like Daniel Gordas, like Maddie, all, all of you in the same category to varying degrees. A Gil Troy, I'd put in the same category. Everyone's slightly different on the, on the sort of spectrum, but that gives me confidence to navigate our way or us all confidence to navigate our way through these complexities with nuance and with dialogue. And as soon as you start with don't meet, you are closing the door Great. to any dialogue. And that's really why it was a bit I too hear far you. for me. Very, I hear you. And I'm not a don't meet person. So here you and I are much closer. Yeah. I will meet with anybody who asks to meet with me. Anyone. I will meet with Ben Gvir. I will meet with Smutch. I will meet people. Meeting, the minute somebody asks to meet. See, and one of the reasons for that is because I'm a Hartman. I'll do some psychoanalysis. My being a Hartman is to be an Orthodox Jew who's alone. Like I'm, I'm sort of out there. Part of being a Hartman is that we are, I was trained never to temper or moderate my opinions for the sake of popularity. I went to an Orthodox school, a yeshiva, where I was shunned for three years. Literally shunned for three years. I was the only student in the yeshiva who didn't have a roommate. I could tell you stories. Just, just speak to my therapist and they'll share them with you there. <laughs> Luckily, the only thing that helped me get through the day was the fact that in Israel at the time, boys didn't have feelings. So it was good. I, <laughs> Boys didn't have feelings. We were trained not to have feelings, and so it's fine. We have strange ticks in our necks. We have all these things, and we get PTS of various forms. But other than that, no, we're fine. So I was literally shunned for three years. Um, I don't shun people. How often have Reform or conservative Jews experienced Orthodox? I can't sit with you because to sit with you is to give you legitimacy. I don't think talking with somebody is giving them legitimacy. I don't think talking is saying I agree with you. I agree that uh, I talking is always better than walking away. Um, so that is again, um, uh, I am very inclined because what once we're going to start this, and by the way, this is also um, it's on another subject. Um, why I have great reservation about the. Um, the military um, sarvanut. Um, how do I say that in Hebrew? The refusal to serve. Really. Now, just again, for the record, there is no refusal to serve. doesn't exist. When everybody's called up, they serve. It's just a refusal to volunteer, yeah. which is a technical term because there is a bureaucracy about reserve duty, which requires a certain amount of notice in advance and a certain amount of time between one call-up and the next call-up. And in certain units, they have to, you know, when slots are available. So they, there's like a halachic myth, you know, just like we sell chametz. So here too, I'm not calling, you're just volunteering. So people are refusing to volunteer. They're not refusing to serve. 
I'm very frightened of lines, which there are times when we're gonna when you have a line. If Israel becomes a dictatorship, that's a different story. We're not a dictatorship yet. And we have to be careful not to use um these tools, these end-of-day tools, because while in certain units there's a very strong center, center-left um, ideology, in uh, many of the top combat units and in infantry, there's a center, center-right. Now, what's going to happen? Each unit is going to decide in which government, when are they going to refuse? So, this lines, not talking, walking away, I, that's just in the long run. Um, that doesn't create the healing. Sometimes, though, I appreciate it. And, and Yossi and I, we speak not just at, at, during the podcast, but um, he is much closer to the belief that we need some shock therapy now. Yeah. And I don't believe, I'm, I'm more frightened of that shock therapy at this moment of the destructive uh, ramifications of yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze Yossi when he's not here, but I also feel like, I will anyway, I feel like it's also his, the fact that he grew up. Yeah, it's his personality. But also how he grew up in that yeah, part yeah, of, yeah, yeah. He, he feels like he understands that because, you know. Yeah, that's what he said. If you read yeah. Yossi Kanalevi's uh, biography, you, you'll, you'll know that he, he was part of Kahana. I mean, in, in New York and then a little bit in Israel before he sort of uh, re, re- repositioned himself. Saw the light. Yeah. So, Repented. you know, it, it just strikes me, um, you know, you've got some younger people in the room, you've got people that have been at these sorts of meetings for 30 or 40 years, and I, I think it's probably fair to say that we've never had a guest at a ZFA conference utter the words, Israel is not a dictatorship yet. And... It's interesting because I, you know, I, I, I recall you saying in April, I think it was around April on the podcast, and then you repeated, I was going to ask you if you still feel the same way, and you repeated it today. And you said that you thought that the proposed judicial reform was a gift. And I was going to say, do you still feel like that today, notwithstanding where things are moving, how they're moving? More than ever before, especially now that we won. Because the reform the, with the article the is not going to pass. Nobody talks about it passing. Whether they're even going to put forth another another feature is up for debate. Really? Oh, absolutely. You, Abs- you think there is no prospect no beyond prospect. reasonableness? No Override? No. Judge's but selection will... Tr- there might be one more that they're going to try. Um, it, and there's debates as to what it might be. Um, is it the, uh, um, you all know the five parts of the judicial reform? Everybody knows? I, I think people are, fam- so we'll, are familiar with So this. you're familiar with them, I'll leave them aside. So it might be the makeup of the judicial committee, selection committee. Yeah. It might be that. It might be how many judges are required to override a Knesset legislation. Yeah. Um, one of the, now, it, it they'll, the, on, on, they're going to try to pick for political reasons one, but it's not certain today that there's even a majority in the Likud who yeah. will vote for it. Um, the people in the Likud, while being totally frightened of, controlled by BB for years, they see the polls as well. Yeah. 
no serious figure has been able to emerge in the Likud party for now 15 years. And part of Netanyahu's system is that anybody who's competent, he puts them in the minister for which they are least competent to serve him. And so that they're, they're not, they won't threaten his prime ministership. Now he's a, he's an unbelievably clever politician. Uh, and he's done a great job for the state of Israel. Again, I, he's not my, my flavor until recently. He was, I thanked him for many things. I think, I think he's lost it over the last number of years, but we'll leave that aside. What you're saying. Really oh, yes. For the judicial reform. Is so, that, it's, now, so all those other people. There's a lot of serious people in the Likud party. It's a lot of nutcases. I mean, certifiable nutcases. And that was part of the plan because part of the way he rules is through a certain discourse of a politics of fear. And in order to do that, you need certain barking. You need people who are comfortable with certain language. And um, so he has a whole group of people who are willing to say the most outlandish things um, in order to solidify the us-them ideology all the time. Like, he also needs people. Like, who would have thought? But the Likud also needs people who will attack the, the defense minister or attack the, the chief of staff or, you know, accuse that. So he needs some of them. But there are a lot of very, very first-rate politicians who you haven't heard from. In years, word, a word out of their mouth, nothing, because they know the minute they say a word, their political career or chances of being prime minister, replacing Netanyahu, go become nothing. Look at Edelstein and Gidon yeah. Saar yeah. as two most prominent. The reverse is near Barkat, yeah. who's a serious man who has developed the profound expertise of saying absolutely nothing. Just, just holding his time. He's a, anybody who knows him, and I know him very well, he's a serious person. Yeah. Do I agree with everything? I don't even agree with myself all the time. <laughs> Not like it's like I don't need, I don't respect people on the basis of whether I agree with them. I respect people on basis. Do I think they're thoughtful? Do they're serious? Do they take different opinions into? So this group of people, all he needs are four members of the Likud who won't vote, and they're all seeing the polls. And so I don't think, I know. We we love getting nervous. So I want to tell you, you were right to be nervous right now. There's other things to be nervous about. The judicial reform, the end of Israel's democracy with, for example, the override clause. That was yeah. the worst. Right. That basically Israel ceases to be a constitutional democracy. Over. And by the way, the ultra-Orthodox parties, that's all they wanted. Yeah. They didn't care about the makeup of the Supreme Court. They said, Supreme Court, Supreme Court, you decide whatever you want to decide. I need one thing. I need a Knesset, which I control, which could override whatever the Supreme Court decides. That's the only thing they wanted. Nobody's going, Kohelet, even Netanyahu, yeah. in his interviews in America, all say that that's gone. The reform in its totality is dead. The question is, how much, how detrimental will be the removal of the reasonableness clause? But the real dangers we face now is not the reform. It's the fact that there are in positions of power some very, very bad people. Yeah. Now, we've had bad people in the government before. We've had them in the Knesset. We actually, certain types of very bad people we never had in the government because they weren't allowed. Now, not only are they in the government, 
They are not, they could be, you know, it's one thing, take a bad person, make him in charge of diaspora affairs. Diaspora <laughs> 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 affairs. I don't know. The relationship between, I don't know, goats and sheep in Judea and Samaria. You're in charge of sheep milk in Judea and, and, and Samaria. No, not Judea. That's too much power. You're in, char- in charge of goat and sheep milk products in Samaria. Go knock yourself out. Build some more. You're, you are the only one who's going to decide how much sheep milk. No, but when you make these people a minister of Homeland Security, when you make them in charge of deputy minister of defense in charge of area C. So part of what's going to happen over the next three years is not the judicial reform, but it's going to be a constant flow of either laws or policy statements from that. I'm concerned, but as regard the reform, I think it's transformed Zionist conversation in Israel and around the world, I actually believe for the better. I'm actually very, very appreciative of it. So that's really interesting. Le- rather than... I just wanted to draw attention to... Uh, we're listening to uh, uh, Jeremy Liebler, Zionist Federation of Australia president, talking with Rabbi uh, Danielle Hartman. Uh, there was a reference just a minute or so ago to the Minister of Diaspora Affairs. I uh, uh, There was uh, obviously some uh, disregard had for the Minister for Diaspora Affairs, Chickley, who has been uh, lambasted uh, for uh, some of his behaviours, but I would have thought that uh, with somebody like um, our President of the Zionist Federation of Australia uh, making mockery of uh, somebody with whom he is meant to have uh, a working relationship, uh, I would have think that that sort of behaviour wasn't really called for. Anyway, let's continue with the conference uh, conversation getting caught on the the specifics of of the reform, especially given what you've just said. Can we try and unpack, we won't have time to unpack all of the different parts, I'm going to start with my own bias, but I want to unpack how this government came about, because I'm not sure that 10 years ago, well, I know, I don't think 10 years ago, one would have thought it was possible, not necessarily that some of these people wouldn't get elected, but that they would be invited to sit in a mainstream government. And I want to start because I have my own bias, and I think you perhaps have the similar upbringing. I want to start, we both sort of grew up in religious Zionist communities or, you know, with that sort of ideology, Hashkafa. And I quite intentionally differentiate religious Zionism to Smotrich's Religious Zionism Party. And I I differentiate with a 50% of driving that is hope that that is the case, <laughs> but part of me isn't 100% sure. And it only struck me this morning when you were speaking. I think the reason why well, I, but clearly so many other people have gravitated towards you and the podcast and what you're producing, and it struck me this morning, it, it's the religious Zionism that I grew up with, right? It's it's the and and I I've spoken about this before that you know I, I grew up in a religious Zionist family went to Benakiva Yavna went to school and I genuinely remember feeling up until the age of about fifteen and the trigger for me was when Rabin was assassinated I up until that point I remember having this genuine belief that this is the best of everything this ideology this is giving me the best of everything I can be a deeply engaged Jew. I can be whatever I want to be in the real world. They're not 
inconsistent with each other. And not only that, within the Jewish world, I'm going to be the bridge, the golden middle path, the, you know, the ones that serve in the elite units of the IDF, but can do so without wanting to impose my own religious beliefs on the rest of the population. I mean, this is how this was the sort of the, 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 now maybe it was never real. I don't know. But when did this all start coming down? Was this when Rabin was assassinated? Was it the, um, forced withdrawal from Gaza, which caused immense trauma in that community, legitimate, justified trauma in that community? Where did it start? Where did the change in the religious Zionist community start? Um, I've also been thinking about this question for most of my life. There's a very big difference between religious Zionism and modern orthodoxy. I'm a modern orthodox Jew. But there's very, very few modern orthodox Jews. Norman Lamb, when he was the president of Yeshiva University, said we have to get rid of the term modern orthodox, we need the term centrist orthodoxy, because modern orthodoxy is too modernity. What? It's like too subversive. One of the challenges of hyphenated identities is hyphenated identities are, in theory, remarkable, where you're able to assimilate different homes, stories, narratives, ideologies, balance them into one. But to do so, you have to work on it. You can't assume a hyphenated identity. And I think for a lot of religious Zionism, modern orthodoxy, there's an assumption of an integration that didn't happen. I'm a modern Orthodox Jew, by which I mean I am committed to halacha, but at the same time, I am also committed to the values that I learned from modernity. There are things that I learned that aren't part of halacha. I didn't learn the value of democracy and human rights from Judaism. Now that I know them, I'm able to find the sources for it. I didn't learn gender equality from Judaism. I was raised in, to, in the morning to say, Baruch Atah for not making me a woman. I was raised that way. And I remember when my oldest daughter was in grade three, she comes to me and she says, Abba, you're disgusting. So why am I disgusting? She says, Abba, I can't believe you say that. So I knew her right away. I said, how could I say such a thing? How could I say, I'm a modern Orthodox Jew. How could I thank God for not making me a woman? In which universe do I live? She says, what, you don't say it? Says, I said, no. She says, what do you say? I say, I thank God for making me a man. I think you should say, shouldn't say Shasani Kirtsono, you should say Shasani Isha. As a modern Orthodox Jew, modernity and its values obligate me. I can't call homosexuality a perversion, regardless of what Leviticus says. And I don't. And I don't apologize for it. I don't say, oh, the Torah only forbids homosexual sex, but not homosexuals. No! I've learned things in the modern world. I'm a modern Orthodox Jew, and it obligates me to dance. But it ob I can only dance when I create an ideology and an education which creates that synthesis. When I assume a hyphenated... People don't know what to do. 
So we have modern orthodoxy in the world is shrinking because we haven't trained our children again because we're frightened. We're all frightened. We know. We know that touching is going to lead to mixed dancing. And mixed dancing might, you know, oh no, excuse me. Uh, no, sorry, touching might lead to sex and sex might lead to mixed dancing. You know, <laughs> we're all worried about there's this classic, you know, the slippery slope fears of what's going to happen. And I appreciate it, but I'm not a Haredi Jew. The Khatam Sofer, who I wrote part of my thesis, my doctoral thesis on, he comes up with the ruling Chadash Asurmin HaTorah. In 1817, he says, what is new is forbidden under Jewish law. And he quotes a Mishnah, which has to do with new fruit. And he creates a new innovation. And by innovating, he says, he undermines all innovation. That's a little footnote. Just put it aside, look it up at some time. We don't have the time to get into it. I'm not, I don't believe that Chadash is Minat Torah. The opposite. Chadash is obligated by Torah because modernity. Anytime Judaism contradicts the truth or contradicts that which I know to be good is to create a mediocre Judaism, and that undermines the divine origin of Judaism. God cannot contradict that which is true, nor could God contradict that which is good and the moral. Now, those are core principles of my Jewish life. Now, I have to teach that. Now, the problem, both in orthodoxy outside of Israel, with the exception of Australia, and Religious Zionism is we created, I am religious Zionist, but we didn't ask, what does that mean? What are, don't hyphenate. The hyphenate is not a plus sign. It's a minus sign. That means you have to give up on some stuff. What are you going to give up for the sake of a people? What does it mean to be a, don't just say I'm a bridge and, and then you get all of, and you're right. I'm going to serve it. I'm going to, I'm going to be the mega super soldier. I know I have two orthodox religious Zionist high schools. My high schools have one of the highest combat unit volunteering, whatever it is, in the country. Uh, we're all in. But is that it? Where does democracy fit into your ideology? Where does the fact that the Jewish people don't agree about Judaism? Therefore, how do you have a Jewish state? Where does the fact that you have minorities in your midst? Where does the fact that you're controlling millions and millions of non-Jews? How does that articulate in your religious Zionism? Those things, part of what's happened is, you know, you pat yourself on the back. And relatively, you know, you're a little better than some of the other people. And then you could also tell a story about how there's a whole group of people who are walking around and they're not committed Zionists anymore. And they're Tel Aviv. And I am the only one carrying the flag and the torch and you can and you call yourself man or woman of the year and you um you commend yourself and you see yourself as the bridge in the future and you don't sit back and say who am i and so like even a bennett take take a naftali bennett naftali bennett at least as a spectator i don't know him went through a metamorphosis he personified everything that's bad about religious zionism until the moment came when he realized that the future of Israel is in his hands. Up to that moment, religious Zionism was Jewish power and startup nation. That's it. And then at a certain moment, he said, oh, my God. And he changed. So, but how do we, we need to educate. And I don't think we are. I think religious Zionist community has focused on the holiness of the land, sacrifice, Hasn't taught modernity, 
hasn't taught the place of the ethical, as you were speaking to me before, the lesson of the prophets? What is it? How many religious Zionists? Everybody, you should all know Isaiah 58. Don't you know Isaiah 58? You read it every time on Yom Kippur. Is this the type of day of fast that I'm in, the day of, of uh, atonement that I'm interested in? You think I'm interested in you fasting? Get rid of the bastions of evil. Bring the poor. It's Where is the ethical as a reflection of your religiosity? Who said to be orthodox is to be is synonymous with Shomer Shabbos? Who gave you that shtick? Where did that come from? Since when did we innovate? What does Hillel teach us? Hillel is asked by a potential convert, please teach me all of Torah while I stand on one foot. Convert me on condition. Shammai says, get out of here. Only one serious people. Hillel says, fine, he converts them. Now, what is all of Judaism while I stand on one foot? What's hateful unto you, do not do unto others. That is the whole Torah. The rest is commentary. Now, that is a serious religious statement. Rashi, by the way, goes apoleptic. Flips out. He says, where's God in this story? And he comes up with this weird way of putting God inside, because I think you forgot something. He says to Hillel. But that's something. Religious Zionism has actually been failing. And and predominantly. And then you have a Ben-Gvir and a Smotrich who could actually claim to be the sole leaders of a community and people who don't would have never voted for them, would have never voted for them as a backlash against Bennett and in anger could actually contemplate a voting for that. That's an anathema to my religious Zionism, well, th- not a representation of it. I think, um, a Yosef Borg probably wouldn't recognize what he sees today. Um, you know, one of the early founders of what That's was correct. the then religious Zionism party. But let me ask you something, and I'm going to open it up to questions because I, I want to give people an opportunity. Do you see any sort of correlation? Because we've talked about the religious Zionism and we had time, we're not going to have time to go through each, but I think the, the changes in the Haredi world are also really fascinating. Hearing you speak about the religious Zionist world, on the one hand, there are similarities, but sort of the other way around. Like with the Haredi world for the last five, ten years, there were there have been some very positive signs in the Haredi world, right? An increasing number of Haredim going into the workforce, some serving in the army, there are Haredi units in the army. There are some positive changes in the Haredi world. And then it also strikes me that historically, the Haredim have always been concerned about providing for their own communities. It was really about, we'll form government with you, you go off, you want to do Oslo, do Oslo, we don't care. Whatever, we want our money, we want the money for our communities, we want to look after our people, we want to be able to preserve our way of life without interference. The religious Zionists, at least the ones from my childhood I recall, were not interested in in imposing their life on the rest of the country. And it seems that there's been a change now with both, that the religious Zionists, in quotation marks of today, do have an agenda of the religious Zionists today are particularly concerned about if there is chametz being served in a hospital in Israel on Pesach. Are, do they, are they interested in this? Is no, this no. still a Haredi issue? That's I- only a Haredi. The religious Zionists are interested in coercing foreign policy. The challenge with, they're not interested. The religious Zionists aren't populating the rabbinate anymore. 
State and religion, well, most, most religious Zionists are quite liberal when it comes to state and religion. Mm. There's questions about a certain public nature, issues of marriage. There's a whole argument, which is a flawed one, mm. but it's an argument that's still prevalent. The problem with the Haredi community is that we are in a, a decade, maybe a generation, in which you have the Haredi community becoming Zionists, but they don't have an ideology of Zionism. So they are bringing synagogue ideology into the running of a country. See, a country, a synagogue, if I don't agree with you, what do I tell you? Here, I'm building a synagogue, you're in my shul, you don't like what I'm doing, what do I tell you to do? Go build another shul. That's fine. Someone told me the statistic there are, is it 60 synagogues in Sydney? Like some, or I forget whatever numbers there are. Like some, it's like we're funnier than the jokes about us. But now, so it's easy. But what happens when you're running a country? What are you going to tell pump somebody? If you don't agree with me, leave. So here you have a group of Haredim who are used to controlling their own space. And now their own space is no longer Me'asharim. Their own space is now the country. And how to mediate that, where to, it's still all governed by, um, by self-interest and um, by, pra- by pragmatism. They're very pragmatic. Mm. And they're actually very frightened now. And if you listen, because the smartest of them is Derry. He's by far, he's just a level of, of sophistication, which most Israeli politicians don't, can't even dream of. And if you listen and you read between the lines, they know that right now the group most at risk in Israel is the Haredi community because the next election is going to be an election in which a coalition is formed between Likud, Mamlachti, and Yeshatid with Lieberman and possibly also an Arab party and Bennett. And that's going to be a coalition without the Haredim and without the religious Zionist community, and it will have 70 to 80 seats in it. 70 to 80. It's there. This is where Israel is now moving. But do you think the Likud wants to be controlled by Ben Gvir? They had no choice. If you run a political system, a, a campaign, just not Netanyahu, there was no choice but to build this coalition. This is the last far-right coalition you're going to have in Israel. The Haredi community knows that it's pushing, but whenever they push, they just don't have the tools. So like, here, yeah, I, 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 who cares about Hametz? Like, the things that they care about. So it's, it's, it's clumsy, and they don't have an ideology of religious pluralism. They don't. They haven't internalized it yet. So you have a group of people who aren't going to ideologically learn how to play with other people. They're going to have to be forced to learn how to play. And I want Haredim in the next coalition because they're 10, 15% of the country. And I want to give them a right to speak about their needs. The one thing they don't have a right to speak about is how I, sh- how I should live my Jewish life. But it's only, and this is, a, it is not the Haredim who are creating religious coalition, coercion in Israel. It is secular and traditional Israelis who are selling their birthright and allowing the ultra-Orthodox to dominate on these issues. It is the next coalition where that's going to come to an end. And when that comes to an end, the Haredim are going to be invited. Are you willing to play? But there's rules, and the rules are not kol dalingvar. It's not whoever's stronger wins. 
There's rules of human rights. And yes, you too, as a Haredi Jew, you have inalienable rights too. But you have rights to your space, to your shul, not to telling me how I should, if I should have a shul or how I should have a shul. The next 50 years are going to be really, really interesting. I think that the religious Zionist sort of obsession with the land and particularly the failure of rabbinic leadership also created a void that allowed the Haredim to take that space. They gave up that space, Absolutely. right? They left the debate because all they were focused on was settlements and land. You've been listening to part of an extensive conversation that took place last weekend at the Zionist Federation of Australia plenary conference between Rabbi Dr. Donnell Hartman and Zionist Federation of Australia President Jeremy Liebler. Now, my next guest is Shaya, Shaya Vitan, who is an Israeli-Moroccan singer-songwriter who's been performing around the world for the past six years, documenting her journey with her original songs. So welcome to the program, Hello. Shaya. Hi. So this is, uh, we're, we're live here in the studio, mm-hmm. and uh, I've invited Shaya in to join me today because uh, she's performing in Melbourne and she'll be uh, performing live tomorrow night. But uh, let's uh, get to that um, soon. Let's let's first find out a little bit about you, Shia. Yeah. So, uh, how do you come to be a singer songwriter? What uh, in your as you grew up, what led you to be uh, inclined to make that uh, your livelihood? Yeah, I used to sing my whole life. Um, my dad used to say they used to sing already in my Brita, which I don't know how to say it in English. But like when I'm eight days years old, <laughs> eight days old. So um, I sing my whole life and I started writing songs since I was um, 16 and performing since I'm 20. And I think it's always it was always there. There was no doubt that music is my path. So you're certainly on that uh, journey and you're... Uh Traveling the world, you've been uh, involved in uh, X Factor in Israel. Do you want yeah. to tell us what uh, that was? That entail? I understand that you did pretty well when you when you competed there. How, did, was, that, how was, did that go? It was just very short experience, to be honest. Um, which I was happy that I that I didn't move forward. Like I really wanted to come to Australia always. Since I was fifteen, I had this goal to move and live here and make music here. And I think if I was in Israel and focusing more on being an Israeli artist, then it would kind of keep me there, which uh, wasn't something that I wanted. I always wanted to be here or, or let's say, at least like international, I could say. So what's the attraction uh, for Australia that uh, has been in your mind that made you come here? I don't know. I think like since I was 15, I don't know what called me here, but I think I just heard only good things about this place and then I've heard how musicians could live here um, you know with, with uh, respect maybe and that I could find places to play at and all of that um, just something different here in the lifestyle it's like people are happier <laughs> more calm <laughs> well according to the happiness index they're pretty happy in Israel too I, I believe You'd yeah, be surprised. A little, a little bit more stress, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happiness and stress don't, don't necessarily negate each other. Mm. Uh, so you were in X Factor in 2021, is that right? 
How yeah, long? Just only like two, two, years two, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was a very short, very short. Um, like I've done a few editions, but that's all. Yeah. So when you say you've been away for six years, you've been going back to Israel uh, every now and again. So when I was twenty and finishing the army, um, I worked a little bit, and then my goal was to come to Australia. But then I went to India, and I just couldn't leave. I started performing mostly there in India, all over. I stayed for a year, one year in India, and performed all over. And I wrote most of my songs there. And then I finally came to Australia. It was four years ago, but I was only in WA in Western Australia. And back then I was more a traveler. And then I left. Was just about to to visit home in Israel, and I couldn't come back because COVID started. And this time I came back last December, very very ready to settle down here and start taking the music in a way more, in a bigger way, which is. I don't know if you know, but now, just now, I came from recording live acoustic album. That's what we've done the whole day in Bakehouse Studios, and we just ran right when we finished. We just did like stop and came, so we recorded yes, all of my songs. Yes, I, I know that that was what uh, you were doing today, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's definitely exciting when you're putting down a new album. Yeah. Uh, this is uh, is this going to be released soon? Yeah, bit by bit, like it will be. It, it's, it won't be released as an album. It will be released a single after single. But yeah, it won't take too long. I suppose there's a process of uh, editing and yeah. uh, and deciding uh, what which songs you want to have on there and, yeah. and all, all that. Not that I've made a record myself <laughs> to know to know what is involved. Uh, perhaps this is a good chance to uh, just play something. You, yeah. you, I understand that you're. Performing mostly or exclusively in English while yeah. you while you're here. Yeah. So uh, we're going to hear something in in English. Do you mm-hmm. want to tell us what you've chosen to play uh, for those who are not able to see what's going on here because we're on radio? Yeah. Uh, Shia's got a guitar in her hand. And, uh, <laughs> True. So um, she's going to play. What is it going to? You're going to play for us? I'm going to play "Let Me Go," a song I've called "Let Me Go." And you can find it on Spotify if you type Shia. Yeah, yeah, I think I've I heard it as I prepared for my show. Yeah? Has it got has it got a message? Um, yeah, it's when I'm saying let me go. It's mostly for myself to let go of all the stories and things that we've been we gotten used to tell ourselves sometimes too much, and we get drowned into them instead of letting ourselves like keep living and and changing our reality. Yeah. Okay, let's let's go. I want to clear my mind And figure out what I can find No default is mine That overthinking may need blind Don't want to waste my time Wish that I could just rewind To see what's remind The thoughts, the tears I left behind I wanna feel the pain I'm ready now to take this train Every day the same So many things I still remain Wanna face it all 
to cry, to scream, to burn it all. I wanna break that wall to find myself, to clean my soul, to clean my soul. I lost myself and I. Had enough of trying to be so high. I don't wanna lie. I try to find my other eye. Wanna say goodbye to all the stories in my mind. Whoa. I wanna break the wall. Let me go. Let me go. Want a place to grow. Let me go, let me go. Wanna change my world? Let me go, let me go. Wanna face it all? Let me go, let me go. Wanna break the wall? Let me go, let me go. I want a place to grow. Let me go, let me go. Wanna change my world? Let me go, let me. Thank you very much indeed. Hmm. Thank you. <laughs> Thank so you. So just much. take take a breather. Uh, now, if, according to your background, uh, and I think this people can now see that this is true. Uh, you have a very soulful and powerful voice, and you're coupled with uh, a folky ethnic uh, a folky ethnic musical influence that mm. creates a very unique soundscape. So. Uh, You've got a you've got a Moroccan and an Israeli background. Yeah. How much do you look back on your Moroccan background in particular? Where your your parents actually come from? Morocco? My grandparents, all of my grandparents from both sides are Moroccan, and I think firstly the food is <laughs> the best food ever. <laughs> but I feel you know with time I, I see how much I do have those roots. Um, in my blood like and I see it coming also with the music that I feel so connected to like there's something else when I hear the Middle Eastern kind of sound and the more ethnic sound and the most ethnic uh, instruments and kind of way of playing way of singing so there's something there that I am exploring also right now Um, I feel it in me I definitely feel the Moroccan in me uh, yeah. Well, I, I can sense it myself. You uh, just, just uh, as an aside, uh, you know about this uh, incident between a Moroccan singer who tried to collaborate with an Israeli artist and uh, received death threats. Did you oh, hear about that? No, I haven't. Uh, the Israeli artist was Elkana Marciano. Okay. Um, her name was Sana Mohammed. Okay. She had to go underground, um, cancel the interview with an Israeli network that she did amid uh, backslash. Anyway, I think I think she's fine now, but that's uh, 
that's the wow. edge. That's the edge we're on sometimes. So I was going to ask you. I mean, when you go and uh, you perform, it's quite evident that you're an Israeli Moroccan. Yes, you're mm-hmm. Israeli. Mm-hmm. Does that? Uh, do you ever get any reaction to never. the fact that you're Israeli? It's never happened in Australia. No, especially not in Australia. Maybe the, the first thing I experienced with the fact that I'm being Israeli was last year in Europe, where I met someone that I just found that like that he thought that I am the fact that I'm Israeli means that I'm standing for everything that Israeli is doing and it's not necessarily true you know like and no, I, I feel like we if we can just find a way to communicate it's all we can find a way to be in peace uh, but I've never felt any anything against the fact that I'm Israeli yeah and also I've been in Morocco once a few years ago and I find the people the, the nice the nicest people um, even knowing that we are from Israel, like I never experienced any. Luckily, I know that there is. It, it is out there, right? But I specifically didn't. Well, I think there's a real uh, resurgence in interest in uh, Jewish culture and Jewish heritage mm. in, uh, in in Morocco yeah, these days, and especially so with Morocco having bought into the Abraham Accords, mm. uh, we've got a good sign of good things uh, to come. Yeah. Now you are going to play something in the Hebrew yeah, a little bit we'll later on, but we won't. We won't. Let's let's leave that uh, for the um, for, for the moment. Okay. Uh, what uh, perhaps you can tell us is uh, what is going to be happening tomorrow night. Yes. Uh, you're going to be performing yeah. live, so people can get to see you. There's maybe I don't know four or five tickets left. Oh, really? It's almost Happily? sold out. Yeah. So we don't need to do much promotion <laughs> today, do we? It's all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? It's tickets, at tickets at the door. There will be maybe more tickets at the door, yeah. so you can come. Um, it's It happens. Tomorrow, it's my first concert here in Melbourne. Um, I live now in Malambimbi in the Northern Rivers. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, I might move here next year. I'm still thinking of, of it. But tomorrow, it's the first concert. It will be at Fitzroy Street, Alex Theatre. And. 7.30 we open the door and I'm going to play all of my originals and I have a, a beautiful supporting act Tay and Luke Vecchio and Shai Shriki which is another amazing amazing musician it's also Morocco Moroccan coming to play with me um, is he also Israeli? it's he it's a he, he he's yes a, yeah he's Israeli too he's been living here for 20 years and he's doing many many songs in Hebrew as well up in the northern rivers mostly but also here yeah, and he's very talented, playing the oud, playing playing a lot of yes. ethnical instruments. Yes, yeah. I think a few people would be uh, would be aware aware of him. Yeah, they should. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is happening tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. So uh, that's at the lounge at the Alex Theatre in Fitzroy Street, yeah. St Kilda. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can still purchase tickets online, but yeah. uh, go to the door Try if you want to. Music.com. Yeah, just, just go yeah. to the door, and uh, if you uh, you heard what Shaya's singing is like, and you're determined to hear a bang on the door, and make sure that uh, they let you in. <laughs> tell them, tell them that uh, yeah. the Israel connection sent you. <laughs> yeah, I will let you in. Don't worry. <laughs> with um, with what's going on in Israel these days, does that does that bother you? Are you troubled by? All this turmoil that's happening mm. in Israel these days—do you? F- does, it, does it worry you? You've got a lot of family there, so uh, your connection is still strong. 
Yes, I have I have uh, lots of friends there. My parents actually moved to Greece recently. Not because of it, but like they I feel um it is sad. It's sad to see how the energy just between the people and to see so much hate. I don't really I'm not putting myself I've never put myself into politics or whatever. <laughs> I You got plenty of time for that show. <laughs> I'd rather to play music and yes. spread the love. Um, so, yeah, I'm not. I am. I am aware. I know what's happening there, um, and hoping things will go for the best. What else? It was always complicated there, you know. Uh, I'm going actually to Israel at the end of this month. I'm going to visit. So, and I will play a lot there. So, if you'll be in Israel. Uh, so, when you play in Israel, you you play still mostly in English. Yeah. That's that's your repertoire, really, yeah. isn't it? I play my original are, are in English. Um, I have one song in Hebrew that you can find actually. That it's been, I don't know if any of you know Ronita Kabetz. Do you know her? Or do, she Not she was a very very amazing uh, Israeli actress, and I've written a song. She was the best friend of my mom, and when she passed away, she passed away seven years ago from cancer. And she was very, very powerful woman, very empowering women as well. And she wrote an article for uh, Women's Day years ago. And I just took the article and I composed that. And we made a song from her lyrics and my voice and the music. And that's on Spotify too. And we made a music, mu- beautiful music video as well. And it's called Kama Ata Uva, How Loved You Are. <laughs> and that's, it goes for Shaya in Hebrew. She knew hey. And that's a very beautiful song that I, that reminds me a lot of mm. beautiful things. Um, so, yeah, but basically I am playing in English. Maybe sometimes. But I you're going to play something Hebrew. now in, in Hebrew. A little, little, a little fun piece, yes, that we're going to hear now. So, let Shia get herself organized as we okay, have to hit, hear her play a little piece in Hebrew now. Thank you, David. Call
Thank you very much. What what was that song about? Kol Galgal is a song. It's actually, you know the Zohar book? Yes, the Zohar, yes. Yes, the so there's an Israeli artist. His name is Avram Tal uh, from Shotei Anavua. That's the name of the band. And he um, just picked, like he, he played those chords and then he, he, he took the, he picked up the, that book, the Zohar book, and randomly kind of chose um, Verses from it, yes. Just this, just this. So, kol galgal, it means uh, basically a voice of a wheel. Yes. That goes and and there's something so magical in this song. There's so many people around the world covering it because there's some frequency in it that no one can explain, but there's some magic there. Well, it's been great having you in the studio. And just to remind uh, my listeners that uh, tomorrow night... Uh, Shaya will, uh, will be performing with uh, Tayana and Luke Vecchio together with Shay Shikri at the Alex Theatre in Fitzroy Street. If you can't get tickets, this is not the last opportunity. Mm-hmm. This is your first visit to Melbourne. Yeah. I guess you're going to be doing some more performances here uh, uh, coming up uh, soon. So uh, stay tuned. I'll certainly uh, keep everybody informed of when uh, when you're going to be out there uh, doing some more performances for the people of Melbourne. Thank you so much, David. It's been Thank great you having me. been great having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. So uh, we're finishing today. You've been listening to my program, The Israel Connection. Uh, please support this the station, JAIR, by going to the JAIR website, j-air.com.au, and looking for the, uh, for the donation button there. It only costs... Uh, uh, $54 to join per annum, but uh, anyway, uh, do uh, do what you can to help us keep broadcasting for you. Until next week, it's goodbye from the Israel Connection.